1180 of the Church Bibles. It'll be on the screen, of course. And we're in the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Christians at Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, beginning at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowledge and knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading can be found on page 1007 of your Bibles. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. The healing of a demon-possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had been, often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus saw from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the hill, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank those <clears throat> tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man 
and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. When we come to a passage like Mark 5, I'm sure there's lots of questions in your minds. Uh, What are demons? What does it mean to be demon-possessed? What's the scope of demonic activity and demonic influence in the world today? Well, hopefully this morning we're going to attempt to work through some of those questions, but before we do, let's ask for God's help as we come to God's words. Heavenly Father, please shape and direct our thinking through your word this morning. Blow us away with the authority of the Lord Jesus over the kingdom of evil. Increase our trust in your Savior and in his plan. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, we've been working through Mark's gospel in our sermon series, and we're thinking today about another encounter, and and we're going to see the authority of Jesus. I'd be really grateful if you would indeed have Mark chapter 5 open before you. We're going to work through this remarkable encounter of the healing of the demon-possessed man. And the conclusion that Mark would have us draw as we kind of tee off from the green uh, is that evil is no match for Jesus. Evil is no match for the power of Jesus. We move from a wild sea in chapter 4 to a wild man in chapter 5. Jesus and his disciples have crossed over the Sea of Galilee. They've gone from one side to the other. They've gone to the um, east side uh, of the sea. And they go to a region called Gerasenes. Now, why is this an important detail that Mark gives us here this morning? Well, this is the first time that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, has gone across over into Gentile territory. We're no longer in Israel. We're no longer with the people of God. We've gone to those on the outside. So the question on our minds is, is Jesus still in control, despite his geographical location. Well, hopefully we're going to see this morning that he is. My first heading for us, verses 1 to 7 in chapter 5, is an evil confrontation. Just picture the scene with me. Uh, The boat has just come to the shore, and Jesus has already told us in Mark chapter 1 why he's come. He says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. In chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus told us his mission is to go out and to preach. So that's what Jesus is going to do, or so we think. As soon as Jesus' feet touch the land, then we meet the forces of darkness. Look at verse 2 with me. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And we're given eerie detail about this man from verses 3 to 5. He wanders about amongst the graveyard outside the town, around the tombs. Verse 4, there are broken shackles 
on this man's wrists and ankles. Not even metal chains can restrain this man. He's that powerful. He just tears them off. Nothing, no one is strong enough to subdue him. End of verse 4. Verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and cut himself with stones. It's a terrifying image of a man oppressed by evil spirits. This is, this is not merely a maniac we're dealing with. He's utterly and seriously tormented. And when the man with the evil spirit catches sight of these men getting out of the boat, he breaks into full stride and starts running at them. He's going into attack mode, as he often had done. And I wonder what would be going through the minds of the disciples as they see this, this wild man kind of coming straight towards them. I think one by one, the disciples would check out their wrists and the eye watch would be beeping as their heart rate has gone higher and higher. Something that a couple of drops of rescue remedy is sure not to help out with. Their palms are sweaty, there's this nervous feeling in their tummy, and I think if I was one of the disciples, I would stand immediately behind Jesus. And I think there would be a line of 11 others with me as well as we watch this man running at full pace to Jesus. And as they brace for impact and they peer around, what do they see? They see this demon-possessed man at Jesus' feet, on his knees before him. And these demons, they know who stood before them. The spokesman for the demon uses the man's vocal cords, I think, in anger to vent his despair. Look at verse 6 and 7. Shout at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. It's proper freaky stuff, isn't it? And do you know what's even more goofy today? There's people every day denying the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the demons. There's no liberal theology in hell. James tells us even the demons believe and shudder. Wayne Grudem, a modern theologian, defines demons as evil angels who sinned against God and are now continually working evil in the world. We've not got time to go into that definition in more detail. But these evil angels, they know their tormentor. And he stood right in front of them, the son of the most high God. I think in 21st century Britain, we've got little room in our thinking for the supernatural, let alone the idea of demons. Often it's scoffed at, it's laughed at. Oh, you're not one of those Christians, are you, that believes all that nonsense about angels and demons and about heaven and hell? You don't really believe all that stuff, do you? Well, the Bible speaks about it, so of course we believe it. I'm not sure if you've seen the epic film, the 1995 film, The Usual Suspects. It's a great film. Anyone seen it? It's brilliant. Uh, there's, uh, 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 Kevin Spacey plays this character who's called Verbal, and he sat before this police detective. And he's concocted this crazy story all about this guy called Kaiser Soze. And he gives this most incredible line in the film. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and theologian said, and I quote, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Lewis says two dangers 
that we can fall into. We're not to do that. Well, this isn't the first time we've encountered evil spirits in Mark. Flick back to Mark chapter 1 with me. Keep one finger in Mark 5. When Jesus first bursts onto the scene, what's the first thing he does? He's baptized, the Spirit comes upon him, and the Spirit sends him out into the desert. And who does he meet out in the desert? He meets the devil. And does Jesus win in this confrontation with the devil? Does he win? Yes. Unlike who? Unlike Adam back in Eden. Isn't that incredible? Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 27. Jesus goes into this synagogue in Capernaum and he's teaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. We know the message. And he's interrupted by this spirit. And he casts out this demon, verse 27, and the people were so amazed and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. Jesus even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Here's the big point for us this morning. No matter how scary the evil, no matter how powerful the evil may seem and the enemy may seem, it's no, it's no match at all for the power of the Lord Jesus. Evil is no match for the power of Jesus. Come back to Mark 5 with me. What is demon possession? What is it? Physically, this man's not weak, is he? He's violently out of control. Do we see that? Verse 3 and verse 4. Mentally, this man's a wreck. He's crying day and night. He's not in his right mind, we find out. Socially, he's a self-chosen outcast, and he's a loner, and he roams in the realm of the dead in the graveyard outside the town. The man is at war with God, he's at war with other people, and he's at war with himself. He cuts himself with stones. Now, there are lots of people all around us in our communities and workplaces and schools that have got all kinds of health problems and mental health problems. Some of them self-harm, some of them don't. Now, I don't think, we've got to be very careful here, we can't jump to the conclusion that just because some people elicit one or more of these characteristics, then we're to call them demon-possessed. We've got to be very careful not to do that. However, that's not to say that some people don't suffer from demonic attack and demonic influence in their lives, particularly if they open the doors through things like the occult and witchcraft and wizardry and through hallucinogenic drugs. That's a surefire way to open the door to demonic powers and influence. Well, keep one finger in Mark 5. Come with me to John chapter 8. I think this is a, a worthwhile side road just for us to look at. John 8 and verse 44. You'll find that on page 1074 of your Bibles. I think there's uh, something worse here than demon possession. Jesus uh, has been speaking to the Jews, and the Jews have attempted to seize him and to kill Jesus. And he says in verse 44, You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. There's two camps we can be in. There's two roads we can walk, two fathers we can have, a heavenly father or the father, the devil. The devil's aim is murder, and his method is untruth 
and lies. And that's to be contrasted with the triune God of the Bible, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator of everything, who gives you life and breath and everything else, the Father who sent his Son into the world to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that he gave himself over to death so that you and I can know life and life to the full. And the Spirit who takes what's broken and restores it and makes us holy. Just see, with God at the wheel, it's constructive, it's positive, and it's life-giving. But when God's rejected and when God's salvation through Jesus is snubbed at, well, other influences can gain precedence and attack people's lives. Well, come back with me to Mark chapter 5 and just give the person next to you a little elbow. I know it's warm in here this morning. Just make sure they're awake. Because what we're going to see is a glorious and a radical transformation of this man's character, verse 8 to 17. We come back to uh, Mark chapter 5 with this man on his knees before Jesus, before the one in ultimate authority, the son of the Most High God. And at Jesus' word... The demons are cast out of the man. Not before Jesus asks the man a question. Verse 9, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we're many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Now the man's reply indicates the depth of his misery. He's under not just one demon, but the control of a number of them. A legion of Roman soldiers was 6,000 men. Now, that's not to say that this man had 6,000 demons in him, but it's enough to signify this man has an army of them occupying the inside of this guy. And these demons are like dogs on a lead before Jesus. Get this, Jesus is in complete control over them. They submit to Jesus. And I don't know why Jesus allows what happens next to happen, but he does. Look at verse 11. A herd of pigs were feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. The evil spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. No doubt a horrible thing to witness. But notice who's in control and has authority. Jesus gave permission. The spirits come out of the man and they went into the pigs on the hillside and they rushed down into death. And those looking after the pigs, verse 14, go and tell the people in the town. And everyone comes out to see the commotion. And what they find is staggering in verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. At the very least we can say about this man is that his life and sanity are worth many, many pigs. The swine herdsmen clearly had witnessed this event and they wanted the pig owners and all the people in the town to know, look, Gov, it wasn't me. I was doing a good job looking after your sheep. It's not me. It was Jesus. And they point the finger at him. But when we find the man, look at him in verse 15. He's no longer out of control. He's not screaming, he's not cutting himself. He's sat down, he's dressed, and he's in his right mind. It's a radical transformation of character. Now, I think the story takes a surprising turn here at this point. A miracle's taken place, 
all right, it's been costly to the, the people who owned these, uh, these pigs, and there's going to be some sadness. Poor Daisy the pig. We love Daisy. She's now drowned. There's going to be some sadness about these pigs. But where's the celebration? Where's the joy? Where's the kind of high-tenning Jesus? Where's the invitation to Jesus, the Son of the Most High, to come down into town and have a hot dog or a bacon sandwich? Okay, there's no invitation whatsoever. Where's the gratitude? Where's the repenting and believing the gospel, the good news? There's none of that, verse 17. Rather, they beg Jesus, leave, and as soon as possible, get back in your boat and leave us alone. Why? Why? I think verse 15 gives us the clue at the end. They were afraid. These folk were scared of the impact Jesus would have on them and their community. Having Jesus around is costly. We might not be that popular. I don't want change. I quite like my life the way it is. Thank you very much. I just want to keep Jesus at arm's length. Don't, don't stick around here too long, Jesus. Actually, uh, I think Mark is saying to us, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by that response. Miracles, no matter how impressive, don't attract people to Jesus. Contrary to what you and I might think. Nor do they save people. Actually, for some, it just hardens them to Jesus even more. They put the brick wall up and they say, that's just too much for me to handle. Jesus is just too much. I can't deal with this in my life. I think there's also perhaps some fear of the unknown. What's it really going to be like having Jesus around? I think for the person here this morning, worried, perhaps feeling a little bit scared about the idea of evil and the supernatural, please be reassured this morning of the place to run to. Don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. That's the place of safety that we can trust him. You see, Satan and God, they're not like two superpowers in a cosmic battle for all eternity, kind of good God's winning, then bad God's winning. It's not like that at all. There's no cosmic duel. Satan is a created being. He's another evil angel, and he's like a dog on a lead. He's ferocious, but he's got limited power, and he's been defeated by the Lord Jesus. So we can trust him. We can trust him. Now, I don't know if this is a helpful illustration for you, but apparently when a building has been laced with dynamite and they're going to do a controlled implosion, they strategically place the dynamite and, and after the plunger's gone down, I'm sure they don't use kind of these kind of plungers, they use electric ones, but after it's gone down, the kind of poof goes out. But there's a brief moment where the explosion's gone off but the building's still standing. It's sure to crumble. And it's like that for Satan now. He's still powerful but he's definitely going to crumble like a building. He's been defeated by the Lord Jesus. We don't need to be afraid. So Peter says in 1 Peter 4, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him and stand firm in your faith. Do you hear that? Resist him and stand firm. He is a defeated energy, energy enemy. Well, uh, thirdly and finally, uh, a gospel-hearted ministry comes forward through a gospel-hearted missionary. Here's the second surprise. I think the entire community here at this point slam the door in Jesus' face. They don't want him around. 
Yet Jesus is kind to this people. He tasks legion to preach. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. Go home to your family, Jesus said. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people, and all the people, and all the people were amazed. Isn't that incredible? Not the miracle, but at this man's preaching. If we're to ask Legion, what does genuine gospel ministry look like? He'd say, it's not a private thing you keep to yourself. It's one that starts at home. I tell my family about this and remind them every single day about who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done for me and for my life. The great things that God's done. I wonder what what goes on behind your front door? Do we see gospel ministry happening in your household? That's what we need in the church today, isn't it? And gospel ministry doesn't stop at the home notice. The man is so filled with gratitude to Jesus that the whole town hears about what Jesus has done. Soon, the whole ten cities of the Decapolis hear about Jesus, the one who's had mercy even on the most vile and evil of people. And all the people were amazed. Clearly, this guy became an effective speaker. He spoke about Jesus wherever he went. So much so that when we get to Mark chapter 7, we'll see that when Jesus goes back to the Decapolis, People are bringing out uh, people for healing. A deaf and a mute man is brought out for Jesus to put his hand on him and to heal this man. Well, we've thought about an evil confrontation, a radical transformation, a gospel-hearted missionary who's come forward. And as we bring the plane into land, so what of us? Well, as you and I think about this year of mission and this big event that we're, we're, we're working towards on the 7th of September, how's this going to apply for us? Miracles and signs and wonders would be amazing if they happen in the prayer tent or whatever happens down there. But the big thing is that we want people to hear about the Lordship of Jesus. We want transformed lives like yours to testify to what the Lord Jesus has done through you and for you. We want you to speak about that. We want some of you to come forward to be part of the evangelism team to speak to people about what God's done in your life and who Jesus is. And I think there needs to be an encouragement for us, for those that we are speaking to in this year of mission, to invite them to church. Come and sit under the word of God. Come and sit under his ministry and hear what Jesus has done. We want to invite people to come and hear about the amazing God who we trust and worship. And I wonder if there is maybe one or a few people here at the moment who've been dabbling in things they shouldn't have been dabbling in, and who are fearful and struggling with something maybe they opened years and years ago, some kind of door that they let into their life, and they're really struggling. If that's you, listen to who Jesus is. He is the one who is in complete control, and he is the authority, and he wants you to bow the knee to him this morning and trust him. He can deal with your problem if you'll let him. And there's people this morning, if that's you, please don't leave this morning before going into that prayer tent and being prayed for. We'd love to pray with you this morning uh, and see you moving forward with the Lord Jesus in your life because today is the day of salvation. Well, so much more to say. Let's pray.
Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're reminded that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Heavenly Father, we thank you that no evil is any match for the power of the Lord Jesus. We pray for comfort and peace on our souls as we leave here this morning, as we rejoice in our risen and conquering Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.